Okay, guys, grab your Bibles and open them with me um, to Daniel chapter 6. Let me read you just five verses that are familiar. We looked at them just recently. But Daniel chapter 6. I want to read you the first five verses of Daniel chapter 6. It pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps to be throughout the whole kingdom, and over them three presidents of whom Daniel was one, to whom these satraps should give an account, so that the king might suffer no loss. Then this Daniel became distinguished above all the other presidents and satraps because an excellent spirit was in him. And the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. Then the presidents and the satraps sought to find a ground for complaint against Daniel with regard to the kingdom, but they could find no ground for complaint or any fault because he was faithful and no error or fault was found in him. And these men said, we shall not find any ground for complaint against this Daniel unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. (laughs) The grass withers. And the flower fades. But the word of our God, that endures forever. <clears throat> you know, in seminary, they told you that if you, um, if you ever run out of sins to preach, then just preach your own. So, uh, you can just consider this next little four part series as a, uh, as a four sermon confession. Just think of it as a, um, a uh, four pieces of self-analysis, if you like. Guys, um, Jesus a couple of three times says, makes a statement. He makes it in Mark chapter 2, verse 17. But he says um, that he didn't come for the healthy. He came for the sick. He's a friend of sinners. And so what we're going to do for four weeks is take a look at um, a significant part of of our diseased souls. (laughs) We're going to look at envy. And the goal of my so doing is not so that everyone's uh, guilt quotient will rise and that you'll feel like you're such a horrible person. That's not my goal, and you've got to keep that in mind. But on the other hand, I do hope you see in the course of this four weeks, um, I hope you see the, the, the extent of the ravages of sin in all of us. But here is my goal. My goal is that should we be able to see the extent of the disease then we might be more drawn to the beauty of the physician. You see, the the more you know about the illness, the more eager you are to attach yourself to someone with a cure. My fellow sinners, we don't need a savior. We need this Savior. 
And, and, and my hope is that by looking at this subject, we might see, oh my, I need him a whole lot more than I ever dreamed I needed him. You know, th- th- that might um, appear to be a little bit backwards to you, the, doing it this way. But l- let me just assure you that Jesus uses, uses the same kind of logic I am. Let, let me tell you how he does it. He does it in Luke chapter 7. And he says this. He puts it this way. He says, um, he who has been forgiven little loves little. Did you get that? He who has been forgiven little loves little. So part of the explanation for our little love is that we define the problem as little. I mean, if you've got this kind of problem, then you've got this kind of love. But if you've got this kind of problem, you are more likely to have this kind of love. Guys, if, if I come to you and say to you, um, and, and I tell you about this flesh-eating disease that, that, that you've got, and, and you're not particularly convinced that you have it, nor are you very impressed about its seriousness, then you're not really much interested in my telling you of the one man who has the cure. But once you get convinced that you have the disease and see how serious is the disease, then you will make haste to attach yourself to the one remedy that is available. And so that's what I'm trying to do here. I'm not trying to raise your level of guilt. I'm trying to raise your consciousness of the problem in the hopes that you will come to see this physician of ours who came for the sick. And we're sick. All of us. Okay? Now, if, if I were to ask you to rank the seven deadly sins in order of their badness, you know those things, they, they write books about them. Um, let's see. Uh, pride, lust, greed, gluttony, sloth, anger, and envy. Those are the seven deadly. If I were to ask you to rank those in the order of their badness, where would you rank envy? Well, let me suggest that if it's, if you put it any lower than number two, then you've been fooled. And, and that is one of the characteristics of envy is that it is able to hide itself. Guys, that's why I read you that little passage out of Denver, uh, Daniel chapter 6. Did you see what was going on there in Daniel 6? Did, I mean, did you, did, you, did you get it? I mean, uh, the king goes out and appoints all these guys, but Daniel gets better than the rest of them, and, and so he's going to turn the whole kingdom over to them so that these presidents and satraps have to report to Daniel, and, and they don't like the fact that he's been elevated above them, and, 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 and so they say, we got to get him, and we don't know how to get him, and the way we're going to get him is with the law of this God, and, and, and so they go to the king, and, you know, they come up with this who shot John, and ultimately, they get the guy thrown into a cage of lions. 
But it was so smooth. I mean, um, they come in the name of the good of the king. You know, we've got to protect the kingdom here. But what they were really trying to do is murder someone. My, my point is, guys, that because envy can hide itself and, and disguise itself, and we can convince ourselves that our motives are good when, in fact, they're not, um, because it can disguise, or because of its ability to disguise itself, I want to suggest to you it may be the worst of all the seven. It may be, it may need to be on top, not even number two. How does, how does a righteous man get thrown into a cage of lions? Oh, and he just runs around with some people who are envious of him. That's how it happens. Now, guys, I, I want to start with a, kind of a brief history of envy. Just a, kind of a, uh, I don't know, just a summary or so. Um, let's start in the fourth chapter of the Bible. I mean, early on, Cain and Abel. Remember that story? Cain and Abel were brothers, and um, uh, the crime was murder. But the motive was envy. Remember, Cain and Abel were both asked to bring sacrifices, to, to bring offerings to God. And so Cain comes and he brings vegetables. And, but Abel came and he bring, he brought a, a animal sacrifice. And God approved of one and rejected the other. That is, he approved of Abel's and he rejected Cain's. It seemed to Cain like everything that, that Abel did was right. And, um, Abel wasn't his brother, he was his rival. And, um, you, you know, I, it's just not fair. That he got accepted and I got rejected. And the reasons for that, or even the rationality behind that, is not important. Because in the mind of the envier, he's getting what I deserve. And any way you slice it, it's just not right. And so he killed him. You know, that's the way we deal with it. We just, uh, you know, we don't, we don't, we don't be honest with ourselves. No, we just lash out against the rival. Uh, I'm going to skip um, Isaac and Ishmael, um, Jacob and Esau, and Rachel and Leah. We'll skip those. We'll come to Joseph. Remember him? Remember Joseph? He was the guy that um, had 11 brothers, and his um, he was the favorite of his father. And he had that coat of many colors, remember that? And uh, now, you know, really, it, it wasn't his fault that he was favored above his brothers. And, and, and uh, those dreams that he had, remember those dreams? God gave him those dreams. And yet, his brothers looked at him and said, we're going to have to kill him. They hated him. They despised him. Why? Because um, his being elevated above them is just not, it's just not right. So they killed him, or at least tried to kill him. Didn't succeed, but they tried. 
Then, of course, uh, David and Saul. We looked at that um, uh, a week or so ago or in a previous series. And Saul despised David. Why? Well, because for years, Saul had been the war hero of Israel. And then onto the scene arrives this young, talented freshman. And um, he goes out and he slays Goliath. Now, how galling is that? That um, to be one-upped by a rural yokel who got lucky with a slingshot. And that song. Oh, that song. You know, it's sang by the, by the ladies of Israel. Oh, David was quite, quite hot with the, with the ladies. And they sang this song. The song was, Saul has slain his thousands, but David has slain his ten thousands. A star gets eclipsed by a superstar. And so, I'll just have to kill him. <laughs> now, here's my solution for my rival. I'll just have to kill him. Oh, it isn't comforting to know that here in the 21st century, we're far more sophisticated than that. We're far more moral than that. Not so fast. <laughs> Paul Tripp tells a story of... Um, of a series of news articles that uh, appeared in some Iowa papers um, back in the early 90s, I think, um, late 80s, whatever. But um, it was about two very strikingly beautiful young girls who um, who had were raised together. They went to the same schools together, but they were they were intense rivals. And uh, their rivalry kind of flared into. Um, it's hottest over a man. His name happened to be Jimmy. I've had that problem all of my life. Just a joke. But um, um, they, they would compete in, in uh, beauty contests together. And one time Cindy would win and the other time Sonia would win. And um, uh, Cindy won Missed Harvest Festival and, and Sonia won Homecoming Queen. And so they... They were what you would call friends until, of course, Jimmy came along. And um, they were both just in love with Jimmy. The articles didn't say anything about how Jimmy responded to all this. Maybe he loved every second of it. Probably did. But, but it did make the point that ultimately Jimmy was going to have to make a choice. And Jimmy did make a choice. He chose Sonia over Cindy. And they announced their wedding plans. Now, Cindy wasn't particularly used to um, losing when it came to matters of romance. And her the, the hardest part was to think that her rival was intensely happy. And she became inflamed. And she didn't know how to deal with it. She didn't know what to do with this 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 moral outrage that she found inside her. She had no solutions for her own, her own struggles that she was experiencing. And so, one autumn night, she found Sonia alone, alone 
and she strangled her to death with a leather belt and left the whole community choking on their grief. Forgive the pun. Oh no, ladies and gentlemen, the uh, the sons and daughters of Cain, or the sons and daughters of Cain, they have multiplied. There, um, there, there are lots of them. They even attend Grace Evangelical Church. You know, guys, I, I dare not indulge myself with the um, the. Uh, I don't know the privilege, I guess, of of telling you more uh, examples of biblical envy. I mean, I, I did not, I didn't mention Naboth's vineyard. You know that story? Oh boy, Ahab the king. Um, we looked at Daniel. How about um, the prodigal son? Uh, you know, the the elder brother despising his younger brother, the the prodigal. I didn't mention Jesus either. And you know, Pilate figured that out. Pilate figured it out that, that, uh, the, uh, the Pharisees had just turned him over because of, because of envy. Guys, it is, um, it's all over this book. And, uh, it's all over the culture. <laughs> just to summarize a, a little bit. From the, from the dawn of the human race, Genesis chapter 4, the, the haves and the have-nots have been glaring at each other with some degree of contempt. We are a people who, we find it very hard. We struggle at trying to rejoice over somebody else's good fortune. We have trouble laughing at somebody else's good joke. What, what, an envier wants is not what you have. He just wants you not to have it. You know, guys, to, to envy someone is um, to take you to a place where you envy who they are so much that you're tempted to destroy them or destroy it. That's what arson is. Um, but you are also tempted to destroy the, the possessor of it, as did Cindy. Um, it, it's a thing that stares at us from the neighbor's garage. It glitters in the department story, story, store window and, and reminds us how unfair life is. It keeps us awake at night as we, as we think about how unfair it is that this person is got this and I don't. And guys, the worst piece of news at all, news of all is this. I am an envier. So what are we going to do? Cindy didn't know what to do with hers. Do you? Well, stay tuned. We're gonna, we're certainly gonna look at that in, in detail in those, these four sermons. But before we can get to that, I, I gotta give you a little, let you in a little piece of bad news. There's a difficulty when we come to discuss this, and let me explain it. 
Guys, in the English language, there is a whole family of words uh, that seem to overlap each other that makes a precise definition just very difficult. Words like uh, envy, jealousy, covet, greed, and even to a degree resentment. All of these words seem to kind of overlap and and um, uh, analysis becomes difficult. To make matters worse, the New Testament has four different words, at least four different words. Uh, the, the, um, the, the most common is the word phthonos, you, you, I'm sure you're interested in that, but there's a word zelao in the New Testament that is translated in this edition three different ways. In uh, James chapter 4, it's translated covet. In 1 Corinthians 13, it's translated envy. In Romans 13, it's translated jealousy. Same word. And so it's, it's hard to come to a, to get your hands around a precise definition because the words are so intertwined. The Old Testament is no better. The Old Testament also has three different words. And I did all the word studies, but, I, but I'm afraid to, to, to give you any of those findings would just bore you and maybe confuse you. But let me, let me, let me offer this, which I, which I hope will help. First of all, Coveting seems to focus on objects, whereas envy seems to focus on persons. I covet it, but I envy her. Now, that's that's not all the time, but generally speaking, coveting has to do with objects. Envy has to do with persons. Secondly, we may begin our career as a coveter, but we oftentimes end up overtaking with envy. It might be a thing that turns into a, that is, it gets displaced from the thing to the person. You might start at coveting, but you end up envying. And then thirdly, it's very hard to distinguish envy from jealousy. But those are not synonyms. For instance, try to use envious in the following sentence. For the Lord thy God is a jealous God. Try to plug envious in there. For the Lord thy God is an envious God. It won't work. They're very similar, but they're different. What's the difference? It's hard to say. But here's what we're going to do. We're going to lump all those words together. And we're going to try to walk away from this with some kind of instruction as to how we might get healthier. How we might address some of the sickness in our own souls. That's what we're going to do. I had a, I had a missionary to Mexico tell me one time that in Mexico, they have numerous words uh, that are translated corn. And he went on to say that because every culture develops words for things that they think are important. Well, we've got about five words all pointing to the same thing or at least a very similar thing. Guys, the issue is so pervasive, such a problem that we've developed a whole family of words to try and get our hands around it. To try and come up with some kind of solution. But guys, may I say this to you? If you are tempted... To make light of the problem of envy, 
Then I, I just want to remind you the the company that envy keeps in the scriptures. Let me read you Romans 1.29. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. I could do that for the next 15 minutes. That is, I could show you text after text where there are lists of these things and right there in the heart of the list of, of wickedness at its worst is envy. Now again, remember, guys, I, I know that you're not guilty of this. This is, this is my confession. I'm just talking about me here. I'm teasing. Because, guys, um, uh, let me save that. Guys, uh, I want to I want to close by telling you a story, and then understand that we're going to move week by week closer to a, what I hope is help, a solution for the kinds of upsetting kinds of things. But you've got to understand, envy is an anti-community sin. Envy attacks communal harmony. One of the things that prevents us from living a kind of lifestyle that we know that Jesus would have us live is the wrestlings and the struggles that we have with envy. One of the biggest obstacles I'm suggesting to a, to a righteous lifestyle is because we haven't addressed this thing. We're as bad as Cindy. She didn't know what to do with hers and we don't know what to do with ours. And yet it continues to attack and erode community. Some of the difficulties that arise between individuals and persons and groups of persons is a result of envy. Mark it down, ladies and gentlemen. It's the thing that rips us to shreds. It brings deceit and it brings division in churches and marriages and communities. It's an anti-community sin. And we've got to know what to do about it. And we will, I'm telling you, you're going to get, I hope, some quality help before this is done. But let me, let me just close out this morning by telling you a, telling you a story. Um, I first saw this story, I read this story. I've seen it in a couple of three books, but uh, it's a story by a man by the name of G.W. Target. I guess it's Target. It's spelled Target. But I, I don't think he has anything to do with the department store, so I'm just going to call him Target. But... But anyway, it's a story about two very, very ill men. They, they shared a hospital room, and um, one of the men in the room was allowed for a couple of hours every afternoon to sit up in his bed because they were trying to keep the, the fluids from collecting in his lungs. And so his bed in the, in the hospital room was next to a window, the only window in the room. The other fellow was required to lay on his back all day long. Um, and, and as a result of spending all those hours together in the same hospital room, they, they talked about everything. They talked about their marriages and their wives and their kids. They talked about their jobs. They talked about their military service. They talked about um, their, where they went on their, their most recent vacations. But every afternoon during this period where this man would, was able to sit up because his bed was next to the window, 
he would look out at the window and look out the window and describe for his roommate in exquisite detail everything that was going on outside that window. Um, it, it, it seemed that the, the window overlooked a uh, city park with a small little lake in it and and he would talk about the, the swans and the ducks that would swim on the lake and the kids that would sail their, their little toy sailboats in the lake. And he talked about the lovers who would stroll through there hand in hand and um, walking through all kinds of various colored flowers. And there were grand old oak trees that graced the, the landscape. And, and there, was this, there was this view of the city skyline off in the distance that was just absolutely beautiful. And so the man in the other bed who could never, you know, raise himself, or at least wasn't supposed to, uh, began to live for those couple hours every afternoon where this guy would look out the window and describe everything that was going on. It was just his absolute delight. It was the time where, where his life seemed to, to get bigger and, and prettier and more colorful. And, and he just longed for those hours every afternoon. One afternoon, the, 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 uh, the man in the bed next to the window told his roommate that, that there was a parade that was going on right outside the window, and the, although the other man couldn't hear it, he he could close his eyes and he could he could see everything that was being described to him. And then, as he as he was lying there with his eyes closed, thinking about the parade that was going on outside the window, an, an, an alien thought kind of kind of trickled into his mind, and the thought was, why does he get the bed next to the window? Why does he get to see everything out the window? And I don't ever get to see anything. It's just not fair. At first, um, that thought embarrassed him. It, he was uh, ashamed of himself that he would, that he would think something like that. And, but then as the days passed and he missed out on more and more of the sights that were going on outside the window, his, his envy began to consume him. And he was, he was captured by the, the, the unfairness of his situation and everything in his life began to grow sour. He started pouting, pouting and brooding and became despondent and he found out that he couldn't even sleep at night because he was so overtaken with resentment for the fact that this man got the bed next to the window. It, it, it absolutely controlled his life. One night, in the middle of the night while this man is staring at the ceiling, unable to sleep. His roommate began to cough violently. And he was choking on the, the fluids that were in his lung. And he was groping in the dark for, for the little button that you push and, and the nurses come running. But he couldn't get it. He couldn't find it. And he kept coughing and coughing and coughing and the other fellow listening from his bed never moved a muscle. Never punched his little button that would have brought the nurses running. And in less than five minutes, the, the coughing and the choking had stopped. Along with the sound of breathing. Now there was only silence. Deathly silence. The next morning... The day nurses came in to give them a little sponge bath and they found the, um, the lifeless body of this man next to the window and she quickly called for the hospital attendants and they came running into the room to remove this, this dead body and clean everything up and make it nice and sanitized again. And, and as soon as it seemed appropriate, 
the, uh, the other fellow asked the nurse if he could be moved to the bed next to the window. And the nurses were glad to accommodate him, and, and so they moved him over there, and as soon as they got him all tucked in and comfortable, she, um, she left him alone. And when the door was closed, this man slowly and painfully now had its chance. He, he propped himself up on, on one elbow to, to take his first look outside that window. Finally, he would, he would have the joy of seeing it all for himself. He strained in, in, a, in a fair measure, fair degree of pain to look out that window beside the bed. And the window faced a brick wall. That's what envy will do to you. It'll make you ugly, ladies and gentlemen. It makes you lethal. It destroys friendships and marriages. It destroys relationships. It destroys communities. It destroys churches. I told you at the very beginning that Jesus came for sick people. Now, we're sick all right. We're sicker than we ever care to admit. And like Cindy, we may have some pretty exteriors. But we're not exactly sure to do what to do with our envy. Because that's an interior issue. And I'm here to tell you, ladies and gentlemen, that that's Jesus' specialty. Now, I hate to leave you like this, this Sunday, because I'm not giving you much in terms of solution. You're just going to have to be a little bit patient, because we're going to work through it sequentially and logically to come to that. And I hate to simply leave you out of here saying, Jesus is going to fix your interior. That's kind of, that's the truth. But I know if I were told that, I'd be saying, I need a little more than that, and you're going to get a little more. But for now, here's what I got for you. Ladies and gentlemen, as beautiful as those exteriors of ours might be, we are sick. Sicker than we ever want anybody else in this room to know. And much of the sickness is the result of our uncontrolled, untamed envy. We are far sicker than we ever cared to admit. And ladies and gentlemen, the good news of the gospel is this. We are also far more loved than we ever dared hope. Ladies and gentlemen, listen to that. 
I'm not here to make you feel guilty. I'm here to show you the beauty of the physician. But before you see his beauty, you're going to have to see the disease. Our Father, I do pray that you will um, allow us to see our sin just long enough so that we might race to the Savior. That you might allow us to get a glimpse of just how sin has ravaged our souls so that we might long for the, the only cure available the one offered to us by Jesus Christ, the one who cures not only that sin, but the rest of them as well. Father, thank you for um, the good news of the gospel, which doesn't stop with with our sickness. It offers us the beauty of a cure, a cure to be found in Christ. He, in all of his beauty, is our only hope of moving beyond the ravages of sin. Father, grant that to us. Give us a great longing to not only know, but be committed to the only one with a cure for a disease as bad as mine. We ask it, of course, in Jesus' name. Amen.